Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles Podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe. You know, when you get around hockey guys again, it's just, there's that feeling, awesome. right? Yeah. When you get around hockey guys, there's it, just a feeling that can't explain it to anybody, but it's there. I, I don't care. You you can be around guys you never played with and and feel that. I know I have, and it's 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 special. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. I'm alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him going to town. I really appreciate you uh, joining us today. No question about that. From Elk River, Minnesota, northwest of uh, Minneapolis. How, how far out of Minneapolis are you? It's Elk about 40, 45 minutes. Elk River. Where's, Elk your, where's your statue at? Where did they put your statue at? <laughs> it's, it's difficult because you have Joel Otto, home to Elk River. Otto's Elk River? Joel Otto. And so he was a big mentor of mine. Danny Hynote, a little more, um, won a cup in Colorado. So you have two Elk Rivers guys with cups, and I didn't. So there's no way that they're putting me up on a wall or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> hey, you're going to like this. Uh, Joel Otto and I played for Team USA in the Canada Cup. Badger Bob was our coach and I'll never forget the day I made the team uh they cut Brett Hull who was pissed but he was fat and out of shape and Badger Bob didn't like that he was fat and out of shape and they kept me and they cut him and he he didn't like me for that because I made the team over him Brett Hull fat fuck <laughs> so that yeah uh, so me and Otts we're on the ice and we're stretching out and, and Badger Bob's going, great Dave hockey, great Dave hockey's going. And today, you know, we got two guys that are going to be a big part of this team, Joe Otto and Knuckles. He said, we're playing Canada five times in exhibition games. And we're going to need those big bodies. And mm -hmm. oh, this is just hilarious. But uh, Joe Otto was a really uh, what an awesome teammate, awesome guy. So, yeah, his his mom was uh, uh, the Ottos are a big name in Elk River, and she was a gym teacher, and and so I just he was always he's always sending me texts and checking on me. You know, he sent me you know signed cup stick when they won it with the Flames, yeah. um, which I was a little bummed about because he didn't he gave them all away and he didn't get one for himself. So like he had to ask if he could get one, one back. Oh, so I really. <laughs> traded him for flyers. He gave me a flyers, and there was, you know, the Leclerc, Recky, Forsberg, some other people on that. So it was, it was an okay trade. But yeah, you know, Oak Rivers have kind of got a good um, history when it comes to to hockey. So it takes a lot of pride. A couple other guys that are playing in the league now. So Nick Perbix in Tampa, Nate Prosser played um, for the Wild and stuff. So it's got a rich history of hockey, which, um, yeah, it's just cool to be a part of that. You know. Yeah, it is. In, in Minnesota, certainly, uh, what a great hockey state in the U.S. Um, and and uh, being from Massachusetts, well, from Boston, yeah, I remember growing up, and there was somewhat of a rivalry from East and West, right? The Bo Mass guys, the New England guys in Minnesota. What's better? Who's better? Uh, the guys from the East are tougher. Guys in the West are pussies, you know, back and forth. And, you know, we never – 
back then I played once. We went to Michigan State and played when I played at Northeastern. We went out there on one trip, but now they play more against each other. But, you know, that rich history of hockey in Minnesota, you're almost, you almost grew up having to play hockey. Like, right. How, how was that in your household? Was, was yeah. that the deal or how'd you get involved in the game? Yeah. I mean, I mean, they do yeah, call it the state of hockey. And I mean, I was thinking when you said that knocks about like the miracle movie, when you watch it and you oh. see the big, the two different factions of, you know, the, the Massachusetts kids, cats, and then yeah. the Minnesota guy, you know, clashing and that kind of thing. And the pride that both, um, both sides take in their hockey. So, you know, we obviously have a lot of um, rich history too. And like, like most hockey players, like I grew up on a pond in Elk River behind the house, you know, grandpa got me my first pair of skates and all the neighbor kids would come and we were rink rats. And, um, you know, I'd have the jerseys of, of Mike Madonna or North Minnesota North stars and the golden golfers, the Neil Broughtons. And, um, and that was kind of just a part of what we did, like our culture on some level, you know, you had the floodlights, you'd skate all night. And, um, it just was a lot of fun. Like I grew up playing a lot of different sports, baseball and, and football and soccer. And, and, um, so it was just, that was a big part of my life. Uh, and then, you know, just over time, you just realize how important hockey is and just ingrained in culture, which nowadays it's, it's almost flipped the switch where it's, it's, um, you know, you have, uh, so many people investing so much money into kids at such a young age where it's like, you lose a little bit of that, that fun for the game and the pressures that go along with it. And, and it's, it's, it's uh, you have the hockey parents. And so it's like, uh, not as many kids skating on the, on the ponds um, where it shifted a little bit. But for me, I, I have a lot of good memories of, of growing up on the pond and skating with the Gustafsons and the kid next kids next door and, and Elk River. So that's kind of, I got started, you know, five, four or five years old doing that. And you were like a sick receiver in football, weren't you? I read. We yeah, I was okay. Like I'd get letters to play college football as a receiver, and and had a couple records for a little bit. Um, we threw a lot. We weren't uh, a big school as far as number wise, um, but yeah, like I I was okay. Like yards and touchdowns for a while. Like they're all broken now. But for me, like I always played uh, football, and then in the spring it'd be you know baseball. Um, or ran a little bit of track and always kept me in shape. And I think those other sports contributed to, you know, being a good all-around athlete and you learn different things in different sports, you know, like football, you're playing defense and you're learning a little bit of toughness and eye-hand coordination and, and same with baseball and stuff. So I feel like all those other sports helped me a little bit uh, when it came to, to being a better all-around athlete and, and hockey player. But like you guys know, like I was fortunate to not have to specialize um, – in, in sports at a young age, like you do now, or you feel the pressure that you need to, like, for me, I didn't play hockey in eighth grade. I played basketball because all my friends were basketball players. So we won the the sixth, seventh and eighth grade state basketball tournament um, in, in Minnesota when I was young. And I just, all my friends at the junior high were basketball players. So I just, I didn't play hockey, but that year I'd skate on the pond and realized how much I missed it. So ban Amir, I came out and played hockey and that was obviously a good investment and choice for me <laughs> with, with my options. But I, you know, I was lucky just to be able to have fun when I was younger and play a lot of sports. And, and I think that really helped me as I did end up specializing in, in hockey, obviously. So you're like the white Bo Jackson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. Bo, um, Bo, Bo Martin. Um, yeah. Bo, yeah, it's so, it's, <laughs> so true 
um, when you talk about kids specializing today, because, you know, I, I think back in the day and not, I didn't play other sports. I played football a little bit. Uh, I played hoop with my friends down the corner, but I, I didn't, I played one game in the Boston neighborhood basketball league with a bunch of my Irish friends. And we played uh, a team from Roxbury, which was a black section of Boston at the time. And they were all black kids and they wanted me to come out and be the hacker, you know? And I was the hacker, but I'm the, I can't play basketball. I mean, talk about a, a dopey white kid out in the basketball. I, I was brutal. I mean, I, I can shoot and stuff, but dribbling the ball, it was like handling a puck for me. It was difficult. But It ruined your uh, all-star <laughs> appearance. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. I broke my ankle playing hoop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 91. Yeah, we get, we'd get hurt too sometimes in college or playing hoops. And that's that's where I got my nickname Pistol was from playing like Pistol Pete, which Pistol you probably Pete. heard that name before. Yeah. And it, like you're talking about Dobie hockey players playing basketball, like a lot of guys are going up for layups with their wrong hand, right? Oh, and yeah. foot, and it's not attractive and doesn't look athletic at all, but I was somewhat okay. So they thought that I was good to give me that nickname or whatever, but there definitely were, were rolled ankles and some injuries where we had to, to stop playing like once the season started because not the most, yeah, fleet of foot. <laughs> yeah. So you go through the high school, now played high school hockey, and then looking at off to college was University of Minnesota um, the one school you wanted to go to, or did you have offers from different schools? And and what made you choose Minnesota? Yeah, good good question. I mean, I was somewhat sheltered in a homebody as a kid. I feel like we'd go over to Grandma and Grandpa's and we'd watch the Gophers growing up. You know, the Mike Crowleys and Neil Broughtons and. Um, Jordan Lee, a lot of names, you know, and so that was always, and it's on TV every Friday, Saturday. So I'm like, this is something that I want to do and not knowing that I'd have that opportunity. So like, I think the recruiting piece and when it came time, like North Dakota, St. Cloud, there's some other good schools in the area. Um, so I'd got, you know, letters from every school and, and, uh, I knew I'd stay around, uh, Minnesota. Um, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't want to go hang out with, uh, the East Coast pricks, you know, and the Michigan kids and that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's um, okay. You know, and That's uh, okay. so it, it's, and, uh, um, you know, just because I, uh, I just was always like that. So when it came time, I remember going into to Don Lucia's office and my mom was with me at the time for a visit. And she said, whatever you do, make sure you don't commit because there's other schools to go visit and talk to. And I'm like, yeah, I got it. I got it. And so we sit down and Don says, you know, so do you want to be a, goal, a golden golfer? And I'm like, yep. And that was it. <laughs> so like, I feel it just came from, from somewhere where it was meant to be. And, you know, the golfers, I've always had a different kind of reputation, but also not liked by um, every other school. Yeah. You know, by so, us. By we Duluth. You guys. Yeah. And you know, the <laughs> gopher. Yeah. And similar, you know, Minnesota Duluth, Minnesota, Minneapolis, whatever, you know, so a lot of rivalries and, uh, always saw a lot of other teams, best games. And so, I mean, we had good, good matches with the Bulldogs and, and Timmy and stuff. So it's, it's college hockey is good. It's only growing too. You're seeing a lot more teams. So it was something that was an easy decision for me at the, at the time. So, yeah, you so were pop. like you guys were like brainwashed. You guys were like Rudy going to Notre Dame. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm serious. Yeah. Like, I was blown away when I went to Duluth. I had no idea like how crazy like students were running to their dorm rooms to watch fucking high school hockey. 
which is insane to me. Like, cause in Chicago at the time, like even today, like you don't play high school hockey if you want to try to play somewhere. And so was it, has it always been like that? Like when you were a kid, was high school hockey that big? Yeah. I mean, I remember getting out of school during the state tournament, like Friday, Saturday, everybody'd skip school yep. and you'd go to the Matt or civic center and you'd watch the high school game. So it was always a big uh, show, you know, I think it's changed over the years. Now they have it at the Excel center, maybe not as many people, you know, the, the quality is different. You have a lot more kids that are going to juniors and, and leaving before and after um, to play hockey otherwise. But at that time, yeah, like kids are skipping school. It's kind of like a, a little bit of a holiday um, here um, that we take a lot of pride in. So that's incredible. And, you know, I, I look at growing up in Boston, same thing back in the day. Um, but it's changed. And I, I say that high school hockey and back in, in, in the seventies and sixties, you had South Boston, Charlestown, all these t uh, neighborhoods of Boston who had their own high schools. So when they would play like say Charlestown, in South Boston, two Irish neighborhoods, when they would play against each other, Boston Arena was full, full of fans from South Boston and Charlestown. There'd be fights in the state, crazy shit. But really, a lot of passion. And then what they did in Boston is they started uh, busing, and they bus started busing students from South Boston over into the black neighborhood and black kids into South Boston. And it 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 destroyed those sports programs as far as hockey that was so well established and the rivalries and the passion for it because now these towns were all broken up their teams there's kids from other towns playing and the and it just didn't work and it really hurt but high school hockey's still a big big thing in mass and certainly uh the prep schools are huge in New England so that's a that's a whole different thing. But anyway, so so before you go off to Minnesota, um, you win Mr. Hockey of Minnesota. You were Mr. Hockey in the year 2000. What, is, that, is that like a huge honor to be named Mr. Hockey in Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I, I know like it was – um, for me at the time, uh, especially like some of the other names that have that have won it. Uh, a lot of times, though, like Stapes was saying, like it's a, a just a, a straight shot to go be a golden gopher at the time. And it's changed a lot. Now you have kids going all different places um, because of the opportunities to play elsewhere. Um, and so for me, I think the the guys around me, like the way that they put on the event, you know, you get to the state tournament, um, you win the the Mr. Hockey, and it was pretty special. Yes, like I still, you know, have the trophy. And, um, you know, I think in Minnesota, we definitely view that as, as something where, um, you know, that you would have gone to Minnesota. And it's, it's changed, but it, at the time, it was pretty pretty unique and special for me and a, and a nice honor to have, so... Is yeah, that, a, is sure. that a, do you get that was that your senior year you get that is that only like a senior year award or is it yep it's usually a senior year award so we went to the state tournament my junior year and took third place and then my senior year we lost maybe two games all year and one was to go to the state tournament and and Blaine ended up winning it who was like Matt Hendricks Brandon Bochensky 
Um, and we had beat them like seven to three and eight to two that year. So it was like a bummer to not be able to be in the state tournament and play or whatever. But that was the year that I had won the, the Mr. Hockey and was going to the, to the golden Gophers. So it was a big, um, a little bittersweet, but like definitely exciting when you kind of, um, realize a little bit of your childhood dreams and go play for the Gophers. Yeah. And play you did. And when you guys did, uh, two NCAA championships, um, you made three Olympic teams, right? Uh, and you played four games in 2014. What happened uh, to the uh, other two Olympics? Yeah, that so you didn't play. Yeah, I'm I curious. Mean, yeah, good question. So I have kind of had a like injuries have been a big part of my um, story or my journey, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with, right? And yeah. it's not nothing worse than being out and not being able to compete, and the grind that is getting back is twice as hard as just being able to show up and play and for me, like, I mean, I, I talked about my grandpa before, but he was always my biggest fan and and someone that would come to all my games and talk about, you know, playing for Team USA and representing your country, which was, it would be a great honor. I played on a couple USA teams um, growing up and was at the World Cup in, I think, 04, 02, maybe in, in St. Paul here with like a lot of big names, like five guys that got hurt. Like, and so they're like, hey, Paul, do you want to come? And I hadn't skated at all in the summer. So I got to go with... You know, there's Garen and Kachuk and Madano and Leach and Chelios. And, and so I get to hang out with these guys, which was really cool, right? Like you get in, yeah. you go out, get some beers, and and then you get into the sauna at 6 in the morning and Chelios biking. You know, and <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Is this how you do this? Because I'm not Adonis. doing Adonis. Adonis, yeah, the Greek <laughs> god. So is this what you're supposed to do? I'm like, all right. Um, but uh, it's just fun to be around those guys. Like I've always been a big hockey fan and wanted to be part of the group and and – love hockey history and so just to, like i was the guy getting autographs from everybody and i'm on the same team you know like hey mo can you sign my puck or with a stick and and gomer and those guys so um but i went as a taxi squad member in 06 with skillsley hal gill and uh, matt cullen and uh, I was an extra and didn't get to play because nobody was hurt and, and they didn't put us in, which was a little disappointing because you felt like with their performance, they didn't play as well. And, and um, you know, I didn't get that opportunity. So uh, but, but we didn't even get to skate. I think we just ended up drinking wine, and eating pasta for two weeks. And then after the Olympic break had to come back and play hockey, they wouldn't let us skate. Um, which was interesting getting back. So anyways, yeah, and in Vancouver, then in 2010, I think that was, um, I had broken my forearm and it didn't heal on its own. And the that, yeah. The one up, the one up top. Is that the, uh, no, the, uh, no, the, that's the ra it? radius. I think the, the radius. radius. So yeah. Bill Guerin took a one-timer when we were in pit and it was a terrible one-timer and it just hit me right in the, the forearm. It wouldn't even have, have hit the net, but then I went out and that you just numb it, right? Like you're like, Oh, this is fine. So they spray it up and you go back out and then, going to the net with Matt Cook and I got a whack and it just broke. Ah, and That hurts. You know, so it was a bummer because they wanted to heal on its own in 10 weeks and then it didn't in 10 weeks. And so they had to go back in and re-break it, which I've already been, you know, you go in in New Jersey, you're always in the, the workout room before everybody's coming in and you're out of there if you're hurt at the time. And so it's like you're in there from, you know, 530 to 830 and, and out of there, which was a tough time, I think, you know, when you're, you love being around the guys and you're not allowed to be around them. And you've just for three, four months, you're just tr training by yourself. Um, it was not a lot of fun. And then, you know, you're not going to make the Olympics. So wit, wit went and took my spot. Um, 
and uh, you know they won the silver medal. So that was kind of disappointing, um, you know, for me to to not be able to go and participate yeah. and be there, you know. And then after, shortly after that, my grandpa passed, and so it was kind of a tough time in my career in general, just not even because of the Olympics, but. The, the, the fortunate thing is in 2014, then Bilesma was the coach. I was in Pittsburgh. I was playing good hockey at the time, and they brought me along, you know, and Tony Granado, and I was able to, to stand on the blue line for the anthem, and all my family came over, and it was really a special moment for me just to um, finally have that dream realized after, you know, eight years, 12 years, um, and uh, to be able to play and played three games maybe, uh, and then broke my hand in in that in the third game and didn't get to play team can against team canada which is that's i guess if you're there that's a team you want to play and compete right. with so you know the ups and downs but i mean on the bright side we got to hang out with the the olympic uh, curlers and get to meet some of those guys john schuster whatever and um stuff like that so have been able to meet them and i was always wondering why they could drink beers the the night before a curling match and evidently that's not that <laughs> big of a feeling for curling um but yeah so i was fortunate to play um in that Sochi olympics and just get the nod for that but it was a, a grind trying to get to that to that point that's awesome though that you get to represent your country i have tim has um it, it is something to put that jersey on and uh good for you uh getting that opportunity um the food did you it was the first time in russia it was the i was in moscow for world juniors at 18 and uh yes but uh Sochi was a little bit different i think they they put out some some better um options the, yes i think they yeah. did a better job but it was weird because they implant implanted the whole olympic village so at the time when we got there there were like the dorms with some didn't have doorknobs doors didn't have doorknobs on them and like they're trying to put up hotels so they were scrambling uh to do it but like for the most part the food was was pretty good for for russia yeah so sochi the first time nice though sochi's nice yeah, yeah, it's a nice spot, like right on the, the coast there, a nice yeah. area. They just didn't have the infrastructure like some of the buildings there. <laughs> to yeah. Mm -hmm. Putin couldn't kill enough people in time to get it finished. Yeah. To spook <laughs> everybody. There was a funny video of we played Russia there and they had like an open hockey game and Putin was skating around and like oh. – not the best skater, you know. I'm making sure that he's he's not going to watch this, right? We'll and, edit uh, this. We'll edit this. Yeah, everybody's he, like, he scared. might, he might watch this. And he he'll, he's going to come after me and completely yeah. understand. And he'll totally understand it too. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like skating around him, giving like a token poke check. Oh you know? yeah, they all suck his. Yeah, they yep, all suck up to him. Yeah, nobody's taking the puck from him. Like he scores and he celebrates and everything. Yeah. It's just like weird. He yeah. looks so feeble for such a fucking tyrant. He's right? so feeble looking out. Do you ever see the one where he's skating around, he goes over the rug? He hits it's the rug and falls down. Like fucking almost every no guy in the ice though. goes over. No one laughed. Everybody, almost every guy in the ice goes over to pick him yeah. up, like help him up. Like poor Vladimir fucking fell on the ice. <laughs> Holy fuck. If, if you laugh, you might be, be yeah, taken yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, you're going to get fucking... Um, Pl pl what is it, plenolium or plenolium in your Gatorade, whatever the fuck it is. Oh, yeah, plutonium or something like Plenar, that, yeah. Yeah, that he, he poisons everybody with. But anyway, <laughs> Vladimir, we love you. Yeah. These are facts. These are facts. Yeah. <laughs> so um, off to the NHL, 
uh, you win those two championships, Minnesota. And I was going to ask you to shave your face before you came on this yeah. podcast today because usually we want everybody clean shaven. Lou Lamorello, <laughs> you're going yeah. to play for Lou. You're a second rounder. Uh, Wait, you had aspirations, obviously, playing in the NHL, but how about the draft? Did you go to the draft, and were you were you thinking you could be a first round, a second round? Did you have any idea? I really didn't. Like, I think I was unaware of what um, type of player I was. I never saw myself as somebody that was, you know, that good of a player per se. I mean, I think, you know, you listen to some of the noise when you're interviewing for the draft, getting prepared. I was older for my grade, so I was getting drafted out of high school, which I feel like wasn't um, necessarily maybe looked at as much or, um, but I would, you know, you, the treadmill test in New Jersey, like they came in, I did that. And I kind of, I was, I had ran track before. So I knocked that out of the park. Like I was a competitive kid. Um, and so I think like even the, like they have the combine. And so like at that time, back then you didn't have an agent until you, you know, went to, to sign or like an advisor. Um, but the person that I was talking to said, you know, do you, should you go to the combine? And I'm like, well, I can't even do a pull-up. You know, I weigh 164 <laughs> pounds. And, and he's like, well, then don't go. And so I never went, you know, because I feel like that would have hurt the draft status if you can't even bench your own weight. Uh, I was a little slower developer. and uh, But I was able – I was drafted in the second round. The thing, Jersey had, I think, three other picks before me. It was one of those drafts where I felt like they were maybe taking a chance on, you know, a high school kid – uh, because of a couple tests and they do this, the psych or whatever. And, uh, so it was, it was definitely a, an interesting process, but just to get selected by that organization is, is I think pretty fortunate because of, you know, I, I love Lou. He gave me the, the first opportunity and, you know, some people, you know, like him or hate him. Like he, he's, he's done a good job at, at winning, bringing people together, I feel, and, and winning championships and, and, uh, Stanley cups. And so, uh, it was a good organization for me because they were patient with me. You go in there and you have Larry Robinson and, and Jacques Laperriere and uh, who was oh, happy. Oh, happy. Come he... to the corner, three on three down low. <laughs> do you do three on three down low? Huh? You yeah. take the right guy. Each man, hey, three on three down low. Each man take a guy. And just such a great, <laughs> just a character. And like, I appreciated him because I, I didn't have a hard shot and like there's things you need to work on. And like, I come into a decor with Scott Stevens, Scott Niedermeyer, Brian Rafalski, Colin White, like it just had won a cup. And so like, they're giving me time and patience. And so I'm out with Lappy every day for 30 minutes after practice. I don't think many people get that opportunity. Right. Um, you know, and I'd come off a shift in the game and he'd be like, Paul, you shoot like pussy. And so <laughs> yeah, say it all the time. And I'd be, you know, like that's just the way that it, that it was. And I'm like, all right, well, I got to start working on my shot, you know, and uh, just to be in that environment, like pretty fortunate. David Hale was there with me and we'd take turns getting scratched and watching from the booth. And so I don't think a lot of people get that opportunity, um, you know, and you're playing with Scott Stevens for the first half of the year. That was the year after halfway through, he ended up um, hanging him up. Uh, but yeah, it was an honor just to be drafted by New Jersey. I know you said the the clean shave, and that's why I have long hair today, just because I'm rebelling against having to have short hair. Because I got a tiny head, and if I have short hair, I don't <laughs> I don't look good. So I need to have a little bit of stubble and hair. But yeah, it was it was a great experience to be there 
uh, you know, Broder and, and all those guys to. Yeah, go. they had quite a, quite an organization, and it all turned around for Lou when he hired Lemire. No question. Uh, you know, I I coached there one year and was gone afterwards. I had a um, uh, assistant coaching job. I took Larry's place, and um, the players felt as though they had two head coaches, which. I certainly can understand that now. I wasn't a good assistant coach. What year was that, Nux? Yeah, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, I coached, uh, I think it was, oh, shit, I don't know. Was it 97, I think, right around there? Um, you know, a couple guys certainly d didn't like me on that team. Um, Johnny McClain and Dano. Because I oh. had issues, I had issues with them on Scott Stevens. Same thing. They made it really. They were real resistant to me, which I understand because yeah. I was a prick on the ice against them, and I was taking Larry's place, and I really don't have a um the personality to be an assistant coach, and it didn't work. So it, nothing against Lou or anybody there. I just was not an assistant coach. Um, and, and Lemaire, I absolutely loved and, and looked up to him in so many, so many ways. He was just so good to me, that guy. I absolutely loved him. But anyway, so you had Larry, Sasat, then Lou, and then Claude Julien, then Lou again, then Sada. And John. What's that? I mean, you must have been scratching your head. You come in the NHL and, you, you know, you, you get drafted by the Devils in the first six years of your career. You got fucking different coach every time you turn around. How difficult was that? Yeah, I think, I mean, as you guys know, like every coach is different with their personalities and, and how they relate to players and, 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 and how they coach, which I think mean, that is important when you have good assistant coaches or like for me, like Pat Burns was the coach my first year. And oh, okay, he, Burns he was. Yeah, and he didn't yeah. say a word to me all year. Which was weird, which I think was designed by Lou to be like, you know what, let Larry and Jock handle them. Because I was wet behind the ears. I wasn't a big, tough kid. You know, Bernsey was a little more, you know, rough yeah, around uh, the edges, but see some snarl. And that wasn't me at all, you know. So, like, I think he had to kind of stay away. And, and at the end of the year, like, me and David Hale, he wouldn't talk to us. Or he, you could see him push buttons of, of guys, you know, like the skill guys, Elias Gomer, to get him going. And, and just certain guys like that, but he left us alone. And at the end of the year, Lou came up to me and David Hale and he said, Hey, Bernsey wants to take you guys out to dinner. And we're like, what? Okay. And, and then 10 minutes later, Pat comes up to me and David and says, Hey, Lou wants me to take you guys out for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I have and, to do this. Yes. And we, it was so, it was, you know, and I like, I love Pat, like the heart, like I just didn't really know him that well. And then he, he got sick shortly after, but um, obviously he's, he's, you know, revered as a really good coach. And, um, but like, he's oh. like, yeah, I just want you guys to know, you know, we need you guys to play well in the playoffs. And like, it was the shortest conversation, but then we still had to sit there like at Nero's for like 45 minutes to an hour <laughs> and eat and like, try to like have a combo with somebody you haven't talked to all year. It was so uncomfortable, but, Fuck. um, you know, to have Fuck. the assistance was helpful. I was there at the end, right? Like Burns, he was in the minus my last year when I was in Montreal. Uh, before I got traded, right, to the Rangers. And uh, Perron was the coach. I got traded to the Rangers. And then he gets fired after I get traded, not long after. And then Burns, he comes up. I would have been perfect with fucking Pat Burns. Uh, it pissed me off so bad because I get traded. Plus, I was hurt. I was a wounded puppy. Uh, I, I was devastated, actually. 
But Bernsey, I, I end up going to New York to Boston, and then I get picked up on waivers by Montreal my last year, 92. And I come back, and Bernsey's the coach. He's at the end of his rope there. But when I come back to Montreal, Serge Savard says to me, listen, big boy, you're coming here. I want you to be a leader. I don't want you in the bar and fucking around, and you 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 be a leader. No cause, no problem. I said, okay, no problem, you know. So I go get a, a furnished apartment and building a block away from the farm. Who lives in the same building? Bernsey. So we have the fucking test. The next day we got test, you know, where you got to skate a mile, the rink, the sit-ups, the push-ups, the pull-ups, all that bullshit. So we practice and Bernsey comes in. We got tests tomorrow. So we won't, the only time we'll be on the ice is to skate with not having to practice. So fine. After practice, he comes up to me. He says, what are you doing tonight? I said, oh, I'm going to dinner. I'm just going to go grab a bite to eat. Blah, blah, blah. He said, well, I'm going out for dinner. You're coming with me. So we go out. He's got a couple of broads. We go to dinner. Uh, he said, let's go. We're going to my one of my favorite spots, La Pasha Club. And it was all older broads, divorced, you know, La Pasha, disco. And <laughs> we, I, here I am fucking, we're, we're half lit after we leave the restaurant. We stayed there till four o'clock in the fucking morning. And I'm there, I'm going to fuck, I got the test. So I fucking, I don't care about the test. Fuck the test. I don't care. Do one push up. Yeah, I don't give a shit. We're at four o'clock in the morning doing shots. We take a cab home. I can see you in the morning. He said, I won't be there. <laughs> I'm there, you prick. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I got up and I, I never felt so fucking sick in my life. I, oh, I, I'm doing the sit-ups and I'm, the kid's holding my legs and I'm fucking just spewing booze on them, right? And Whoa. then I, I got to skate the mile. And... Cabano, who was my sentiment when I before I left, still there. And we're going. And Cabo fucking lapped me. And I was skating around. I'm going, fuck, my career is over. This is it. I got fucking Cabo fucking just lapped me. I am fucking done. And I was after that. It wasn't my last year, but yeah, like Bernsey, that was my dinner with Bernsey. And he, mm -hmm. I loved him. I just <laughs> yeah. wish I could have played for him when I was there in my prime, you know, because mm -hmm. it would have been a fucking match made in heaven. But anyway, um, they got sidetracked on that one for sure. So, so you, you, you leave the pesky devs, um, and onto Pittsburgh, you spent five years there, San Jose. I don't want to just go through your whole career, but we're going to go, you know, you had a, a, a good run. There's no question about it. San Jose, you get there, um, you know, a couple of years. W what went on in San San Jose? I, I, I think I read somewhere, I heard somewhere, you, there was some issue going on with with uh, Pete DeBoer, the coach. Was there is there any truth to that? I, you know, I mean, I I think, um, you know, getting to San Jose, like. It was a great, like we ended up making it to the cup my first year, you know, and we lost to the Penguins who I just had spent yeah. five years with Sid and the crew. And that was, that must have sucked. Yeah, that was, I, that? that was difficult. I definitely drank a lot more than usual um, after that, uh, that year. Um, 
and it was uh yeah tough when you spend five years with guy and it's partly your decision right like i thought like a change of senior would be good for me we hadn't really gone far in the playoffs we lost to boston in the conference semis one year um and then we we make it you know with thornton and marlowe so and, that was your decision to leave pittsburgh yeah i mean it was I had the opportunity to come back yeah and uh i just you know we just started talking to other teams and i'd never been out on the west coast and I loved the the guys in San Jose, Brent Burns, et cetera, and Joe Pavelski and Couture. And like, all right, we'll have a good opportunity here. And we did. We made a really good run. And and I think Pete has has changed a lot over the years, like his mentality as far as coaching and now like how he deals, you know, with the veterans and how he puts them in charge. And, you know, at the time, I, he was away from his family. Was he like Burns? He, so sorry, Paul. But was, was he like Burns? He a little bit hot ass? A little bit like, little bit like hard nose, yeah. And he was a little bit of a yeller, which I've never really been a fan of of coaches that yell because it's like you're from the from the bench. It's like a, you got to be able to to coach and like trust your players on some level. And like I understand certain times it's you might have to yell, um, but like when you're yelling at younger guys, it doesn't help them in their development. You know, yeah. and, and and coaches are like that, but like Pete and I, like looking back, like I don't think there was anything where we didn't like respect each other. Like I obviously, I was, I mean, I've shared, I was going through some tough times, especially at the end of San Jose drinking and 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 dependent on pain medication and and just trying to get to the rink in the morning, you know, and and um, so I wasn't happy in my environment, you know, like I wasn't pleased. Yeah. I, you know, I just had ankle. Appreciate surgery. the honesty. Yeah, playing with you know not many ligaments in my ink. So I had surgery and there just was a lot where I wasn't at my best, you know, looking back, it's like, that's the frustrating part. And so like, I mean, going through like some of the work that I've done, you realize like a lot of it is, is my own stuff, you know, like, and, and the ownership right. that you take and, and a lot of people are doing the best they can. Like I know Pete was away from his family, you know, a spotter and that wasn't easy for him, you know, the grind of a pro season. And, and if, if coaches, if you're not taking care of yourself either, that's, you know, things, you know, come out in the way that you behave is different. And I know that he's changed a lot and we've had a conversation since where it's like, I don't have any, that's awesome. or, or any coaches like I, I know that they're they're they want to win their it's their job you know to try to get the best out of their players and a lot of times I wasn't capable of being the best which is more frustrating for me like looking inside than it is you know it's yeah. like not pointing fingers at anybody else so um uh, exactly what I listen what I went through the same thing that whole thing with Lou in in New Jersey that one year and you know, I, I wasn't happy at the time, but when I really had that self-reflection and looked inside, it was me. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't Lou. It wasn't Jacques. It wasn't Dano. It wasn't McLean. It was me. I wasn't a good assistant coach. And you, you gotta, you gotta be honest with yourself. If you're not, it's not making any progress at all. And I mm -hmm. certainly had to do that. So that's good to hear. Um, did you and, both, and, did you both know that or realize that like how long after? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I've, I feel like he'd probably be someone I should connect with, you know, and just because, you know, going through the program, like I've made amends to most people. Like there's people that I haven't made amends to, and they're the ones that I always, that keep popping up. And I know that I have to have a conversation with. I don't think there's any ill will or poor feelings. Like I, I loved Lou and the crew there. You know, I, I have no, um, like you said, Nux, like going, doing the self-reflection and going through the work, like I wasn't at my best and Doug Wilson was great during that process. Um, you know, so I think it's more like, 
you realize your your part like and and if i'm not showing up as my best self like anything that i'm you know doing or saying like i was pretty quiet because i was just battling getting to the rink in the morning and trying to you know make it do the little things to to stay in the lineup and and pete's trying to put the best product on the ice my last year in san jose i was sent down um playing for the Barracuda, which was my first time playing in the minors. And it actually was a really fun experience, um, you know, for me and being able to skate with some of the guys that were trying to make it up and kind of refreshed me a little bit. And I knew kind of the writing was on the wall because I got bought out that summer. And, but I still wasn't ready to hear it. Like I didn't get in shape. I didn't do anything for. You're never for ready, some- right? You're never ready to hear it. You're never mm-hmm. ready. You, you can say you're ready. You can think you're ready, but you're never ready when it happens and there's no question about it. And I want to get to that. Um, you know, you talked about the drinking and the, and the, and the pain pills, um, which I partook in all that. Uh, when I played hockey, I didn't, I, one time I took Percocet when I played, I broke my arm in Montreal. I was playing for the Rangers and they gave them to me because they couldn't cast me because I was flying the next day. So I, I broke my arm and I snapped in half. And um, they put me in a uh, ace wrap and uh, they gave me a ball of Percocet. And I took them that night and we stayed up playing cards till like four in the morning, flew home the next day. And I got in a cab and threw up right away. I was going to get the cast on. You I took threw the up whole the bottle? G- you took the whole bottle? <laughs> no, no, uh, no. <laughs> but I did take, I didn't take them as directed. I can tell yeah. you that. <laughs> yeah. But I threw up on the GM. He was taking me to the hospital, uh, Neil Smith, and I just bopped on him. Anyway, but I look over the course of my career. You don't mind talking about this, do you, Paul? No, not at all. Uh, no. Being up front. Okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure. Well, I, um, God, when I look back at my career, and how much I drank during my career. And back then, right, the 70s, it was into the 80s, like it was such a, almost a given that uh, you had to drink. Like every day we had lunch across the street after practice. You had to show up. Now, you didn't have to drink, but what, what the hell are you going to do? You're a bunch of hockey players having lunch. Guys are going to have a few beers. The older guys went home after, you know, an hour, hour and a half. Younger guys all went out and and continued. Um, drank after games. I remember going into Buffalo, going into wherever, whatever team on the road. And you always talk to a locker room attendant, throw me six beers in my bag. So every guy every guy had a bag, fucking six beers in my bag. So we all get on the bus and drink. And that all kind of changed. Montreal, they never had all alcohol in the, the locker room. The only time you could drink in the locker room is if you won the Stanley Cup. Now, I was shocked. I went to the Rangers when I got traded for caps again to drink beers in the locker room right after. I'm like, what, what is this? I, I just never saw it in hockey. I knew in Boston they, they had a, a fridge in the locker room full of beer, and they used to sit around afterwards, play cards, have a few beers, then go across the street. And then Craig McTavish, former Bruin, oiler, was going home one day uh, after practice, and he rear-ended a woman in a car, and um, she lost her life. And then I think that got the attention of the league and all the teams because it was, you know, uh, 
lawsuits involved and all that stuff. And I, I think things start to change a little bit that way. But when I think about the amount of alcohol I drank throughout my career to deal with a lot of the stuff I was dealing with that I didn't know how to, whether it was being alone after a game and, you know, my hands are all cut up and sore and my beat up and not feeling good. But it, it was just a great way for me to kind of unwind. And it helped me get through a lot of shitty nights. There were a lot of great nights, but a lot of shitty nights that the alcohol helped, helped me get through. The drugs for me didn't come till retirement. Like I said, that one time in my career, I, I did those pills. And then, boy, surgery after surgery, Percocet, then eventually led to the Oxycontin and then off and running. Through your career, like you were saying, you took pills during your career. Like, when did that come about in your career? Like, you know, was that in the drinking? Was that a, from the get-go? Was the alcohol involved? And then did it progress and get worse near the end? What? How'd that go if you can kind of yeah, good run question. through that? I mean, similar to what you were saying, Knox, like I think early on, like the lifestyle, um, I mean, come from college, we, we drank a lot you know, it was just, fun. it was fun, you know, binge drinking or whatever. And then getting to the pros, it was a little more professional nature, but, and, and we didn't have a beer on the bus or weren't allowed to, um, but, you know, guys would always be drinking or find a way. And, you know, part of like, you go on the road, you put your bag down, you go eat, you have wine and the s single guys would stay out. Um, for the most part, I remember Scott Stevens was my first roommate and uh, he, I think Johnny Mac had done it on purpose where like he turns the, the TV off and the lights off at nine, like 9 PM to go to bed. And like, I'm coming from college and I'm like, I don't go to bed till midnight. So yeah, who's going to take the remote and turn the TV back, back on from Scotty, you know, yeah. not me, you know, so everyone's a little different, but for me, I was alone, you know, and so the younger guys, that's what you do to, to hang out and drink. And it never really became an issue. I think like in 2010, after I missed the Olympics, that's when I was really introduced to pain meds and my grandpa passed. And so I spent a little time. Um, now, was know, that from, uh, did you break your hand, you said? Yep, that was the, yep. before the Olympics, that rate, the radius are up top here. Um, and then it didn't heal on its own. So that was the first time being introduced. And at the time, like, you know, you talk about managing and regulating your emotions or feelings. And I think a certain amount, like the alcohol, like was a good way to cope, you know, and not feel things and, and get through the grind of a season. And it, it made things easier or able to, to get to a certain point until it wasn't. And that was same with kind of the pain medication where it was, it, it was very comfortable for me. Like it affected me different where I felt like I felt a part of something. It was like a safe cocoon. Like I didn't feel as much pain. Like a lot of the things that you don't have to, to think about or deal with. And, um, you know, it didn't really become an issue at the time because I didn't become dependent on it at that time. Like, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you. So you, you got introduced in 08. When and, did it, uh, when did the claws sink in and you couldn't get the claws out? Yeah, good question. So I think in 2012, I was not enjoying my time in Pittsburgh and was not playing well. And it's a huge sports town. And, um, uh, you know, you read the papers and the Twitter and all that stuff when you're not playing well, as opposed to when you are. And 
uh, I wasn't enjoying it there. And it was all a reflection of, of me and the space that I was in. I had nothing to do with, with Pittsburgh. And at the end of that year, I broke my foot and was taking pain meds again. And it got to, then it was like the blues, like the oxys, um, which those were extremely dangerous for me. And then they, that got the claws into me where I started to see a therapist, um, was a little more open, um, with about like trying to get help, you know, scared. Did you understand what was happening to you? Like, cause when, when I was addicted, when I first got addicted to them, I, one, I didn't know anything about recovery or I could go to a rehab and get help or detox from these things. But did, did you know what was happening when I say that? Like, okay, so I, I take my, uh, 180 Oxycontin pill and then, Four days later, I'm taking two. Uh, you know, f- six days later, I'm taking three. When did you realize that, man, I'm addicted to this? The only way I can f- kind of feel normal is to have more pills. Wh- yeah. Where, where was that? That was, yeah, at the end of, of 2012. And that kind wow. of is where you need it to function, right? Like where it's like I need yeah. this to get up and feel better to go to the rink. Um you know, but then you also, I started to feel the physical effects of like not feeling like, um, I had as, I was as strong or as in good of shape. Um, you know, obviously drinking and taking pain meds is not advised. And so I, and, and I was depressed, like, you know, the psychiatrist who I was talking to was like, you should be on uh, antidepressants right now, but I'm like, I'm, I'm drinking, I'm taking opiate. Like, that's not a good combo. And also like, I'm a hockey player. Like I'm, I'm not depressed. You know, I, I can't be that kind of stuff. Mm denial, the ego, the control. Um, but it was a scary time because I felt alone, you know, like I, I couldn't tell anybody. I mean, at the end of the year, it was Ray Shiro who said, you know, Paul, like, I feel like you're not enjoying playing hockey. And like that hit me because I wasn't. He's like, you know, I've a lot of people think you're better than Ryan Suter. Like, I'll, and you're just, it doesn't feel like a good fit. And, and I was surprised with what I said. I said, you know what, like, I'm going to show you that. Um, That's in 2012. That's in 2012 at the end of the wow. year. And I said, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to come back next year ready to play. And I don't think I mentioned anything about getting sober or anything like that, but that's what I did. And, and, um, you got off, you got off the pills. Mm hmm. Yes. On your own. Just cold turkey. And then, well, no, it was not a fun process. I, I did have help. I did have help. Um, and then went to, to Hazelden in Minnesota, Center City in that, that summer. Did you you keep the hush on that? Yes. Because the team, they didn't know still had a lot of shame and guilt with that. Like, and that's the sad part is like for a whole year, I pretty much remained sober, but I wasn't, and I played great. Hockey was, uh, you were hanging on for dear life. Yes. I was a lot better, but I was white knuckling it, you know, where I wasn't, you know, I didn't go to meetings and work the steps, didn't call anybody. Like I was, you know, isolated. I still, I, I mean, I love the guys. That's what I miss the most about hockey is I was still good with the guys, but I just wasn't in a great space. Um, you know, internally to, to do that self-reflection, to realize, um, you know, why I love the game of hockey and, and realize it wasn't always about me too, you know, going through now, going through all the steps and going through that process. So for the next three years, I managed to, to be fine in, in Pittsburgh and playing better hockey, going to the Olympics and, um, you know, started, had started drinking again, but that was it at the time. So, um, I felt like I was kind of back, feeling somewhat normal as a hockey player in person. Um, I just, you know, still felt a little off after, you know, once you go through a process of, 
of 30 days of realizing, you know, the, the, where you're at with, you know, opiates and alcohol and, and the, and the dangers of it, like starting to see as you're drinking more, like the dangers of that and where it led last time. It's, it's not a fun place to be, you know? Yeah. So you got the help, you get well, when did things turn again? Uh, was it in San Jose and was it an injury? Was it a surgery? Yep. It was a combination of things. I think after we lost to, to Pittsburgh, that was difficult, um, but I still wasn't taking pain medication. Um, the next year, um, towards the end of the year, I had a relationship and some personal things going on. Like I, I you know, like, yeah, great season, 2016, 2017, right? Yeah, I mean, that was the year. I was games. Yeah, yeah like, Burnsy won the Norris. Like, I was his partner, you know, so I feel like I take a lot of pride in that, and that was fun to be with him and see him have that success. So um, that was good. And, and just that next summer, I had an ankle surgery because I was playing without – I was with torn ligaments, so they had to put that together, introduced back to pain medication, and – it was not a, a good end of the summer. I have a, a, a mental health foundation for kids called Shine a Light, the T's a yeah. seven, you know, and I'm not being an advocate or as a founder of the organization as a good, um, you know, beacon for what we're trying to do when I can't, you know, manage my own mental health and, and, um, and physical and emotional health. So it was that, that, that year, beginning of the year is when um, I remember it was like the Napa fires and I went up, we went up with a group of us to Napa and I was, uh, drinking on pain meds and at that point I'd, I was introduced to Xanax and that's not a good um good drug uh, not that any of, not that any of them are is there any of them good out there which ones are good yeah which ones are good I don't know um and uh so I remember coming home from Napa like I don't feel like I slept for three four days and there's fires burning in the background you know and and I just remember like it was very symbolic of like where I was at um you know realizing I was kind of helpless, but not willing to ask for help was difficult. So I went to practice on Monday and and had a conversation with Pete DeBoer. And like, I knew, like, I, I didn't have it register, you know, like, cause when guys are saying, yeah, you shouldn't be out here, but like, I'm like, I'm putting every pass on the tape and I feel fine, but obviously I don't look good. Yeah. They kind of said you shouldn't be out here. And then Pete and I just got off the ice and well, I kind of like, put, who, who said that the coach? Yeah. Well, Why, because of the condition you were in or. Yes. With, yes. And, evidently you were I, hung over and yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I hadn't slept in four days. Like I was, you know, I, I don't, didn't see it at the time. Um, but they, yeah, Pete, you Pete, thought you were fine, right? Oh, no, yeah. one knows. Yeah. Well, yeah, a little, yeah, little hangover, yeah. little hangover. <laughs> you know, and I always like part of the, my thought process, I always like, if I'm putting every puck on the t hard and on the tape and not getting beat, like I was, you know, you're just good at that. The, the robotic piece of that. Um, but I got off the ice and just kind of broke down and started crying. And, and, and it was a really, um, you know, tough moment for me, um, as a hockey player, you know, and like showing that kind of, uh, a vulnerability and weakness and talking to Doug and the frustrating part for me is talking to Doug up in his office and asking if everything's okay. And me saying, I'm going to be okay. I just got some stuff going on instead of being able to say, you know what, Doug, I'm really struggling. I need some help. Can you help me? And still to this day, like, I don't know, like that, that piece inside of me and, and you, so you guys know, like it takes what it takes, but like, it's still like, there's always opportunities to, um, where you wish you would have done things different, obviously. And, and it, it was not a bad, like the next, 
um, rest of the year, uh, Brian O'Reilly um, came in and we did some breath work and some beam work and, you know, talked a little bit about other things besides alcohol, but like I was able to get into a good place. And by the end of the year, I was playing again and playing decent hockey with Bernsey and, and, um, and feeling good about myself. And then I think just the writing was on the wall, um, you know, the end of that year where I got bought out and, um, you know, that was hard for me too, because of the ego piece. Like I, you know, like I was still playing good hockey, I felt, but like, I knew I wasn't in a good spot still, um, because I wasn't doing anything besides playing hockey. I wasn't, um, you know, working a program, uh, going to meetings, getting a spot, doing the things that. How that old I, were you there when you retired for your last what, year? Yeah. 37. 37. And right. that last so, year, that last year you were fine. Like, I mean, sober at least, or were you in the mix? Before, yeah. Until the end of the year when we had lost in the play, like in the playoffs. And then I kind of, I don't know. I just assumed I was getting bought out. Like I, hockey was uh, love hate for me at times because of injuries and because of myself putting myself through the grind, you know, um, where I'm like, I don't know if I want to play anymore. My body is not what it used to be. But then the other voice on the other shoulder saying, wow, you still got a lot to play. You love the game, you know, and it's 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 an internal struggle because like I don't know how much I love the game as opposed to love being around the guys. And that's just what I've been doing. And the paycheck, right? And the paycheck. Yeah. And the guys. And it's like you're like, I love I I love. Yeah. It's like, but what else am I going to do? My identity piece is huge. Identity is huge. Who am I? What what else am I good at? Probably not a lot. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, did you go on like uh, when you got done retiring? Was it just game on after that with with substances and drinking? Yeah. So then after I was bought out, it like for the next six months, like I I wasn't training, I wasn't working out. Like I knew I was done. I felt like I was done. There's that little voice saying like you could get in shape and go play somewhere else, which I feel like I'd have been capable of. I just didn't do it. So like, there's things like I was saying before, like I wish I would have you know, done things differently. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I drank. And at that point there was, uh, pain meds, cocaine, like it was, it was a mess. I gained third, 25, 30 pounds, a huge beard. Hey, 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 fat Elvis. Yeah. Well, I, the reason, yeah. The reason I ask is because obviously I know your story and got to know you, but you did this article I read in 2018, the athletic, right? And I was like reading that and it was awesome. It was like all, all, all these guys, Pavelski, all these guys were just saying the most amazing things, saying things that I would say about you um, today. And I was just wondering, like, when you did that, were you, where were you at when you did that? Do you remember, do you know what I'm talking about? The article? Yeah, that was in, in St. Paul here in Minneapolis. Were you in trouble though? Like, were you in oh, the yeah. heart? Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, I think at that point I had the hard part, like, the next year when it came out the next year i had been out to california you know with the hockey docs and dan cronin and lewis who i really respect and i'm grateful for the opportunities that they've given me and continue to you know stick with me through you know going in and out three or four times in the summer because i still was not willing to submit and surrender to to doing things other people's way um you know and so until i decided to do that like that article was at the end of that year um and uh um so it was yeah it was weird to 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 be like going through that and like the knowing you're done and 
you know, what's next. And so for me, I was at a really low point of, all right, like, I remember, you know, Marlo, who, who's a good, good friend and someone who's been really helpful in my recovery and, and life is, um, you know, what would be the, the guy that would always reach out and say, you know, like, if you don't want to be sober, you don't have to be. But if, if you feel like you need it or want to, you just got to try to do things a little differently, like, just, you know, give it a shot. And I did. And I did everything I didn't want to do at first. You know, I, I got I went to um, an outpatient facility, a sober living where I was in a, like a 10 by 10 garage. Uh, with tall Robert and, uh, you know, see therapy, a spiritual advice, just did everything. Cause I'm like, you know, why not? And it was hard because you're down deep in the mud, you know, going through that stuff of, of regret and shame and guilt. And, um, you know, seeing yourself like that is not a, an enjoyable process, you know, looking at like, I'm, I'm weak or I can't, you know, take care of myself. Um, and it also, you know, remind me of the, the, the power of, of addiction, um, you know, and the hold it can have and the struggles and, and the ability to, to, to be open and say, I need help and, and sit in that space with other people doing the same thing and learn a lot from so many people that have, you know, the courage to, to voice those things. And, you know, I, I was lucky to be able to stay on California for a year and get sober before I came back and have that time. And I'm just so grateful for, for all that thing, the, the time and continue to work the steps and have a sponsee. And, and, you know, we have a, a group of guys that, um, you know, show up every week to, to have a conversation. And, and it's just something that ha has grown for me to be in this space. And, and, uh, you know, over time I've, I've learned to, um, you know, value my experience and, you know, not as have those, those regrets and, and, uh, just be, be, be present with myself. And, and I think like the hardest thing is figuring out what to do next. So I've been here at the university of Minnesota coaching, um, and, um, as a as player development, finishing my degree, my master's and, and doing some transition work. And so it's been a lot of, of things that, um, I didn't think I'd be doing like going back to school and, and, um, starting groups and work coaching and stuff. So I'm just, you know, grateful for, for the process and everything I've been through. It just, it's weird. Cause I don't talk about the whole, a lot of it that much, you know, I mean, I, um, but it's, it's, uh, feel grateful to, to be where I'm at now compared to, to where I was. Yeah, uh, and it's a credit to you. And I got to uh, echo what Tim said because, listen, I never met you other than uh, our times together and these things we have done together. I won't say much more than that, that w we've only met online. Um, but when I read that athletic and read what your teammates had said about you, and, and listen, most teammates aren't going to throw a guy under a bus anyway, but the words, the content that each guy mentioned from Pavelski to um, Brett Burns to Daylock to Logan Couture, um, it, it really, it struck me in, in meeting you online and reading that, uh, what Brett Byrne said that um, you are the most genuine human being he's ever met. And he had a tear in his eye saying it. And that for me, just knowing you like I have, that rings true. And I, I think it 
just says a lot about you as a person and, and a human being, certainly uh, battling through the things you had to. I mean, the three of us have a, a lot of similarities, more so than differences. And, um, you know, I, I just, it's, it, yeah, that, it's just Mr. Genuine. Forget about Mr. Hockey. Mr. Genuine here with us. And I just think it's so cool. That was just, you know, yeah, it was awesome. And, and to have a career like you've had, incredible career, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you said no Stanley Cup and how difficult, that was a difficult time, you know, being in San Jose, playing against your former team. And going through all the stuff you've been through, I just think to come out on the other side like you have, just a credit to you and and, and God bless you. Like, really, um, yeah, not no, an and, easy and thing. I think it's powerful, that athletic of knowing your story, because there, there's all these things being said about you that, like Nux just said, like, I, I'm reading it and I'm like, this is exactly the guy <laughs> yeah. I met, right? Like, this, yeah. this is... But probably for you at that time is probably hard to read, right? Like you're like no one knows, right? That that everyone's reading that and they're like, this guy's the man, but like you personally are are at a low point. My point is that that is who you are, right? And it was shining through, right? right? It was like, shining like, through all and that. And it's like you can be you can get help and you can better yourself and be, you know, you probably didn't believe it at the time, I'm guessing, you know, when you actually read that, like you're doing that and you're probably like feel like you're lying almost, right? But it is really who you are, and I think that, uh, yeah, it was really cool to read that for sure. And then obviously, like to know you who you are today and get to know you, it all is it's awesome, awesome stuff. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, and and I know like that is difficult because it's kind of like a, a internal conflict of of who you are, right? Like as far as um, battling with you know alcoholism, addiction, and and still being able to think of yourself as a, as a good person, you know, who has integrity and is honest and is a good friend. And I think maybe even you become hyper-focused because that, that's one thing like I always prided myself on or wanted to be as a good teammate and be there for my, for the guys. Right. And, and um, especially the younger guys, you know, helping them fit into the the league and get their spots and, and encourage them and motivate them. And, and um, you know, I think, cause I've had people do that for me. And so I think within the hockey community, there's so many, genuine people who are looking out for each other you know because you're going through this this grind with them and and it's not easy so to have people that you can depend on and and show up for you and and, uh, and you know have some laughs with is, is really important and and that's kind of what I miss the most you know I miss being in the locker room with Bernsey and Thornton and um you know Sid and Gino just all the guys because that's you know you're just a little kid having fun and and so just to, to that conflict is it's, I think over time you realize still like the person that you are and being able to show up as that person. Like I know service for me is important in being able to give back the things, the gifts that I have, even whether it's for coaching or in the rooms and, and um, you know, and, and it's, it's unfortunate to be able to, to do that after those lessons and still have something to, um, you know, to offer. And, and I still, I miss, I talk to those guys every once in a while via text or a phone call and, and I, I miss them, you know, it's weird. Cause you don't really get those, those experiences back. Right. And that's the, the way we, it's like the competitive piece is like, it's hard to find the, that, that, uh, that kind of energy or, or connection in, in, in most things when you're done, you know, it's hard to. So fleeting. Mm -hmm. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, when you get around hockey guys again, it's just, 
there's that feeling, awesome. right? Yeah. When you yeah. get around hockey guys, it, there's just a feeling that can't explain it to anybody, but it's there. I, I don't care. You you can be around guys you never played with and and feel that. I know I have, and it's 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 special. Um so now, Polly, uh your graduate assistant back at uh at University of Minnesota coaching, which is awesome to be around the game, the game that you love. Um now that you're in recovery, can you like you must feel like you have a whole like forget about the hockey pot because you have that you have the hockey pot you know how to how to you know talk hockey you know how to talk your position you know how to help players that way but how valuable is it for you to be able to have the tools of recovery in your bag now when you're talking to a kid on the ring, because you talk about a coach yelling. You didn't like coaches yelling. How cool is it to have that in your toolbox now to be able to work with these young kids and maybe teach them more than just hockey? Yeah, that's a great – I love that that question. And, and it has been like a gift, like I think, to be able to see things maybe a little differently, like a bigger picture – and what you can control. And, and that's, I think, what kids even need more than they need hockey advice is they just need someone to talk to, um, you know, and, and ask questions. And because you have nowadays, you have a skills coach, a skating coach, uh, you have five different cooks in the kitchen telling them, you know, what they, what they need to do. Um, and just so hyper-focused on hockey where it's like there's, you know, life outside of hockey and, and sometimes not always focusing on the hockey piece makes you a better hockey player. And for these guys, you know, coming here, they're all motivated and want to learn and, and uh, dedicated and um, coming to school and ma- navigating social life. And, um, you know, I'll often have just kids come up to me and talk to me about, about things that don't have anything to do with hockey. And so you feel like you have a little bit to offer in that in that case, you know, and some things to to – to um, share as far as what would be maybe beneficial to do and, and what not to do in certain circumstances. And, and um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different type of conversation and, and looking even at hockey piece, like, I mean, you guys all you played and for me, it was weird to be able to coach something or express something when you're just used to doing it, when you're just used to playing and you rely a lot on instincts and, um, and feel, you know, and reads. And, and a lot of the times it's, it's kind of, like unless you're in that situation where the systems piece is is I work more like I feel like with the individual um, and and getting guys um, into a good spots like mentally and being able to just to kind of come out and play you know with without having too much on their mind so it's it's just it's a really fun to look at it that way um, as an assist, you know assistant coach or someone that they just can have um, you know a ear to, to ask questions too. And so it's, I've, I've, and it's, I've benefited a lot. I've learned a lot from them too. Like I just asked them a lot of questions because I, I, one thing I know is I don't have it all figured out and I'm always learning and um, new things. And it's like, someone's always trying to, to reinvent the the wheel and uh, with certain things. And so for me, it's been fun to, to learn from these guys too. I was laughing in my head because I was just picturing if we saw like video of you coaching and you're just an absolute psycho. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Screaming at kids. Just screaming like you Do it right. <laughs> Do it fucking right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> oh, that's so funny because you talk about that. I remember my first year. Um we had a coach, Bert Templeton. Remember the junior hockey team, Canada? They had the big brawl in Russia. Mm. He coached them, and Bert was known for that. He loved fucking tough teams, loved tough guys. But he didn't like college kids. And you know Timmy Burke, Paul, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Berkey, Berkey was my roommate, very good friend of mine. And Berkey was my roommate uh, in Halifax my first year. And I was only there half the season, but he told me, he said, Chris, coming out here, I didn't know anything about pro hockey. And he said, listen, here's the deal. This coach, he hates college kids. So just do yourself a favor. Don't be first in line. Don't fuck up any drills, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, okay. So the kid from Merrimack, Richie Costello, and poor Rich, he, he wasn't a you know, he's kind of a shy, quiet kid, not, you know, a gregarious hockey guy or athlete and nothing like that. Just a nice kid. And he goes first in line and fucks the drill up. Well, Templeton goes, fucking Costello, you fucking dumb fuck. You fucking college kids are supposed to be fucking smart. Get in the end of the fucking line, you idiot. And fucking poor Rich, like that kid fucking melted into mm-hmm. his skates. He was gone the next day. Gone. Like, see you fucking later. I felt so bad for the kid. And um, Berkey, I mean, he put it to me. He said, this guy. And then once I started fighting, he liked this college kid. You right. know, it, it was crazy. I just, there was a tale of two personalities and two different type players. So, you know, you're so right about it. I hated that too. I hated when I hated when fucking coaches on the other team yelled at players on the ice. I fucking hated that. Mm-hmm. I like to grab them right by the fucking tie and mush them. But you know, certainly when you're yelling at your own players, um, yeah, I didn't have many coaches who did that, which was a good thing, you know. But uh, yeah, I, wonder so, why. I don't know if I they wonder were. Why. <laughs> I don't think there's. <laughs> Someone's still smart to not do that. No, but yeah, Paul, listen, uh, awesome. Um, Before I let you go, I I want you to talk about Shine a Light a little bit. Shine a Light 7 Foundation uh, that you um, put together. Uh, Just give us a little, like, I guess, overview of what you guys do and why did you do it? Yeah, so, I mean, it's Shine a Light org and the T in light is a seven. That was a number I had. And, you know, when I grew up in Minnesota, there was like the Mark Parrish's, Danny Hynote, Sean Podine's guys that had foundations that something was dear to their heart, you know, cancer, um, military members, et cetera. And for me, we lost a couple cousins to suicide and a close family friend in high school and college. And that was something, you know, the, um, suicide prevention, anti-bullying, which Shine a Light started as, um, and has kind of grown into more of a youth mental health awareness and education program where we work with Masonic Children's Hospital here at the U and, and Washburn Center for Children and give them funds for therapy and group therapy. And, and we really support like uh, the music therapy and art programs here. And um, so we raise money for that. A lot of it's centered around music, the Rolling Stones song, Shine a Light. Um, 
was at the time relevant to like my journey and where was that I at when we when we started it and so it's just something that keeps you know me busy and giving back to the community and and you know mental health is such a big umbrella these days um and so prevalent in being able to give kids tools and access to therapy and opportunities to to navigate their experience like through music and the arts and so we have you know a fundraiser once a year and um, you know, bring in some silent and live auction items, and try to get some some local celebrities and some musicians there. So, something that it's it's grown a lot. I think when I did get you know sober for the last time, it was something that I realized was still important to me and had a lot of value and capable of of making a difference. So, we continue to to do that um, um, any way that we can. Yeah, it's so cool uh, to get involved and give back. Um, you know. I get a, a lot of um, personal grat, uh, uh, satisfaction out of uh, working. I'm part of a foundation, the Liam Foundation. Uh, you know, I look at what his dad does every day. Go, he got, he got three kids. Liam has a mitochondrial disease. He's in a wheelchair. He, he can't speak. Uh, he can walk a little bit. Uh, but um, just a wonderful little boy, and he's nine now. He's supposed to be dead already, and his dad goes to work every day. Uh, he he has three other children, and he just, like, you know, he has his life, and he does everything he can to try and find a cure for this uh, a disease that his son has, and I, I – when I met him and saw what he's going through, now how can I not help this guy? I mean, he, he, look, look, all he has on his plate, and this little boy, who who certainly um, didn't come into this world um, with the same opportunity as the rest of us, uh, healthy people, and it, it just so it's awesome. It's a it's a good thing to be able to give back uh, in any way you can, and that's awesome you're doing it. Uh, I just love being involved like that myself. So. Um, anyway, Paulie Martin, just awesome having you, and I really appreciate it. I wish you luck in your coaching career, and hope things go well that way. And uh, good stuff with the with the foundation. Awesome stuff. It was yeah. great to have you today, pal. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Knox and Stapes. Always a pleasure. Love you guys. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles podcast. Please like, follow and subscribe.